Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. <laughs> my head that drives my With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. We're breaking down the weekend from Iowa Speedway. We'll also talk a little bit about the schedule changes and the Xfinity in the Truck Series, the very minimal schedule changes. We'll discuss that, why that is. Also, we'll talk about um, a couple of crew chief, a crew chief change here in the Cup Series and who might be, uh, who else might be on the hot seat here as the season rolls along here. Let's get to that crew chief change here. It was announced earlier in the week uh, that Levine Family Racing will be making a crew chief change. Travis Mack, who had been with the organization for 15 races this year, uh, has been replaced by John Leonard, who will be the interim crew chief of the number 95 car. Leonard was the, lead, the team's lead engineer in 2018, also served as the team's interim crew chief for the final five races of 2017. Uh, this change will take place when the Cup Series returns to competition at Sonoma Raceway here on Sunday afternoon. So, um, listen, a, a interesting move because we're only 15 races into this marriage between Casey Kane and Levine Family Racing. You know, they sit currently 20th in the standings. Casey, they had the year I think everybody expected. Now, I don't think anybody expected them to go out and, you know, win 15 races this year or win five races or maybe even win a race this year. But right now they sit 27th in points, a very disappointing year. There's been races where they've been really far off. Uh, they're coming off. They haven't had even scored a top 15 finish this year with that team. So a little bit of disappointment, and it looks like Travis Mack paid the price, John, for their struggles so far in 2018. Well, you and I were talking just before the show started, and one of the things that we were looking at is Levine Family Racing has more horsepower this year because they switched over from uh, ECR engines to Hendrick, Hendrick Power underneath the uh, 95 car. And But we were talking, it's like, the marriage of Todd Parrott and Michael McDowell, if you really think about it, provided better results last year than Casey Kane in the 95 car this year. And I think the folks at Levine Family Racing, it's a one-year deal with Casey Kane. I mean, basically, this is Hendrick Motorsports finding a place for him for the final year of the contract because he's still getting paid by Rick Hendrick. I think Levine got a, a free driver, and they said, okay, we'll take it but it hasn't provided results. I thought they were, they were thinking, okay, we'll do a year with Casey Kane. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully it moves us that next step forward that we didn't think Michael McDowell could go because Casey Kane has won in the cup series before Casey Kane has been competitive. I mean, heck he won at Indy last year. He made the playoffs last year driving for Hendrick Motorsports. And now here they are back in 28th in points. I'm not sure what it is. Um, it's not that Casey Kane has forgotten how to drive a car. He knows how to drive it. He, he um, like I said, he won an Indy last year. I don't know what it is. Um, I think the marriage that they had between Casey and the crew chief at the 95 just wasn't working. Um, it seemed like Casey Kane wasn't competitive. There's a lot of times where it just felt like they were out to lunch and weren't competitive. They were a 25th to 30th place car. And that's where, not where Casey Kane used to run him. So, I mean, it can only go up because they're 28th in points and everybody who's behind them is pretty much the premium motorsports, the um, 
gaunt racing, the ones who are just trying to make shows, the ones who are still charters but aren't competitive. And Casey Kane was supposed to be a step up for the Levine family racing team, and I think it's been almost a step backwards. Yeah, listen, um, Michael McDowell, we commented last year on this team and how much how they performed very, very well last year. Um, and it just seems like right now, Casey Kane obviously is a much more high-profile driver than Michael McDowell. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, much more bigger name. And I just think, you know, when they went out and got uh, Travis Mack, the crew chief for this organization, he was the car chief over at Dale Hart Jr. in her 88 Chevrolet last year. And the year in, for the last few years, so they expected. I think well, we're going to get an engineer from a, from an organization of Hendrick Mo- caliber of Hendrick Motorsports with Casey Kane, and we're going to take a step in the right direction. And it hasn't gone that way at all. Um, if you look at where they were at this time last year, they were 27th in points last year. But again, there were some finishes um, where you sat there and said this team ran really good. A 13th place finish at Kansas last year for this organization. Um, a 15th place finish in the Daytona 500. They finished fourth in the July race at Daytona. Uh, there were some good stories where he sat there and looked at that 95 car and he said they're really overperforming of where they were last year with Todd Perry as a question. And Michael McDowell's a driver and they haven't taken a step in the right direction at all um, with Casey Kane and Travis Max. So somebody had to pay the price, unfortunately. And I don't think it's the fact that Max is bad people. I just think it's the fact that they didn't hit, they might not have hit it off. Um, and, or, you know, they just, the chemistry wasn't there right off the bat. So we'll see if John Leonard, who, like they said, uh, was in the last five races of last year as a crew chief for the organization uh, when Todd Parrott and then moved on. We'll see if that improves this organization and, and how they run here in the next couple of weeks at all. I'm sure they're going to be out there scouring, uh, some, talking to some people about who could be the crew chief of this number 95 Chevrolet as the season rolls along. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles, Clayton Cole, John Harlow. Um, there's a, you know, this is the type of the season here. You had an off weekend here, John, where I think a lot of teams did a lot of evaluating. Um, is there anybody else out there, in your opinion, uh, that that might have made, might have looked really hard and said, maybe we should make a crew chief change there, and if things don't pick up in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see uh, a, couple, a couple of changes here down the road? I think if there's a team who might be looking in the mirror really hard, it might be the 13 team of Ty Dillon. Um, I don't know what the deal was, why they swapped out Booty Barker. It seemed like Booty Barker was with that 13 the entire time that they've been up at the Cup Series. And it seemed like the performance was getting better. Now, Matt Borland was the crew chief crew chief for uh, Paul Menard whenever he was in the 27 car. When the 27 car went away, uh, Childers needed a place to put Matt Borland after uh, paying the money to get him away from Stuart Haas. Paired him up with Ty Dillon, and I think they've gone backwards from where they were with Booty Barker last year. Um, and I think it kind of ties into Travis Mack's um, issues with Casey Kane. The 95 car, Levine Family Racing, is getting their stuff, their equipment, except for engines, from Richard Childers Racing. They have the uh, technical alliance for chassis and bodies from RCR, and they have the engine deal with Hendrick Motorsports. And RCR hasn't been great this year. They had the win with Austin Dillon in the Daytona 500. They had a couple uh, where Ryan Newman has shown some flashes of brilliance but hasn't been able to put the full race together. And I think part of it, I mean, you look at the JTG Doherty Racing, they're down from last year. You look at the 13 car, it's down from last year. 
You look at Levine Family Racing. They're down a little bit from last year. I think RCR hasn't figured out the Camaro. I think that the engineering and the support they're getting from RCR isn't comparable to what they would get from Hendrick Motorsports. And Hendrick Motorsports hasn't been that good this year. So it's one of those things where I think it's partial Chevy where people still have, they still haven't been able to wrap their arms around the Camaro yet. But I think if there's anybody who's looking at possibly a crew chief change, it could be Matt Borland being out at the 13 car. That's interesting. You know, I, I wrote an article not too long back to frontstretch.com uh, or, or I should say a newsletter piece for them not too long ago discussing this exact issue where there was three dry, three crew chiefs out there who I felt were in kind of hot water, um, and they all had something in common, and they were named Matt. Now, I was off on Travis Mack. Um, I didn't get that one correct because he was the first one to change, but I thought there was three guys out there, and, and one has, since I wrote the article, which has been about three, two or three weeks, one has really improved. Their, their race team's really improved, and their 2018 season's really improved, and that's uh, Matt McCall. You know, Matt McCall over there at that uh, at the number one car, um, he he was a guy who I had on the list that, that could potentially be replaced. And now all of a sudden, McMurray and that organization has found some speed on that team in that one car here in the last couple of weeks. So I think he sort of saved it. Um, so I think when you look at it, you have to say uh, there's another guy named Matt out there, Matt Pusha, who was the crew chief of the number six car for um, Matt Kenseth slash Trevor Baines. Baines going to be in the car the next couple of weeks here uh, at Sonoma, at Chicago Land, and at Daytona. Um, but Puch is a guy who, uh, you know, Matt, Matt Kenseth, we heard him say there's some work to do. We have some work to do on, the, on this six car. And maybe Matt Puch pays the price for that. I don't really know, um, you know, if, if they feel like they have a better option out there or if that those problems that they have with that race car and that race team are a little bit deeper than the crew chief. Uh, so I think that's an option to keep an eye on. And, and absolutely, Matt Borland, um, a crew chief there, who they made a move to bring in Matt Borland. Like you said, he's a former engineer, was a crew chief with Ryan Newman back in the early 2000s, where Newman sat on about a pole every other race, it felt like, on that 12 car for Team Penske back in the day. Um, you know, then he was a crew chief for Ryan Newman on a 39 car, worked at Stuart Haas Racing as an engineer, went and helped start Haas's Formula One team, and now he's back in the Cup Series with Paul Menard's crew chief last year. He struggled there with Paul Menard. Paul Menard had a really bad year last year, and here they are struggling again with this 13 car and the Geico team with Ty Dillon as the driver. Now, um, I thought Booty Barker did a fine job there last year. I was kind of surprised they made the move, but again, this is a team that is is aligned heavily with Richard Childress Racing, and I think they sort of put a lot of the people with this 13 from Richard Childress Racing last year into that thirteen, into that thirteen car this year with Ty Dillon, and the results just have not been there at all. Is it the fact that Chevrolets have really struggled with the Camaro? I think that has a lot to do with it. it. Has something to do with it, but I think there's deeper issues there with this organization as well. So, um, you know, it's only a matter of time before we make a change there. I wouldn't be surprised. And you know, Ryan Newman's had a tough year this year with Luke Lambert. Uh, if that's a move they want to make over there at Richard Childress because Childress has struggled this year mightily other than the Daytona 500 victory. So still a lot of um, options out there, no doubt about it, John, as far as teams that might make a crew chief change uh, as the season moves along here. Yeah, I think there's uh, one of the things that we're running into, though, 
there aren't a lot of crew chiefs that you just sit back there and go, okay, who's available? And you've got the next, um, you may get an engineer who's, or a crew chief at the uh, Xfinity level who they may bring up, but there's nobody really sitting out there where saying, okay, who's the guy who I can end up getting and having um, be my next crew chief and replace somebody like Matt Borland, Matt McCall, um, or uh, any of the guys who are struck, Matt Pusha. Um Because there's nobody in the bench that you see at Roush Fenway. I mean, the Xfinity Series isn't doing – nobody down there is doing anything special. Um, the only person who I could possibly see um, coming up would be the guy who was um, Matt Kenseth crew chief last year at Joe Gibbs Racing, but he's running with Christopher Bell in the Xfinity Series. Um, I could see Roush making a move to try to get him out from under Joe Gibbs in the Xfinity series and pair him up with Matt Kenseth again, because they did have uh, good success in that 20 car, but that's the only real name crew chief that's sitting out there. Isn't dry, Isn't crew chiefing at the cup level. I mean, when Dave Rogers went away from um, Carl Edwards in the 19, he went back and he's in the shop at Joe Gibbs racing and hasn't really, uh, seemed like he wanted to make a move to get back to the Cup Series. I think there was some health issues whenever he was with the 19 car, which is why he got off the road. But there's not a whole lot of crew chiefs out there where somebody's going and scamber and saying, boy, i got to have this guy to be my next crew chief because I think we're running out of um, – there's not a whole lot of crew chiefs out there that have names or building chemistry. I mean, it's one of those things that's really tough. Chemistry between the crew chief and the driver – it's something that's built over time. And uh, it's sort of like when you said with Luke Lambert and Ryan Newman, I think after a couple of years, they're finally starting to get their mojo together. It's, I think part of it's the Camaro where they're not getting things. I haven't heard Ryan Newman gripe or complain about Luke Lambert yet. You haven't heard Ryan Newman and Luke Lambert have basically shouting matches on the radio. I think Ryan Newman and Luke Lambert have built the chemistry. I just think the cars aren't there for them. Yeah, that's very possible. It's just, you know, when you look at his season so far this year and compared to where he was last year, they want to race at Phoenix, obviously, with a great pit call. Um, but right now they're 22nd in the standings which for Newman with three top ten finishes this year. So very disappointing year so far. I know a lot of that might be out of Luke Lambert's control. Um, but, you know, the only top ten finishes we've seen from that team this year is 10th at Bristol and 8th at Daytona and a 9th at Talladega. Other than that, they haven't finished in the top ten. It's been a real big struggle for them. And it's only getting worse as the season goes along. Since Talladega, they dropped from 16th to 22nd in the point standings. Um, so it's been a, a, a tough few races there for that 31 team over there at Richard Childress Racing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I just think that you're right about the fact that there's not a lot of, of big-name guys out there right now. But, you know, who heard of Cole Pern before he got to the 78 team and they made that move to the engineer before that when they got rid of um, – Todd Barrier over there, and they put, brought in an engineer of that 78 team, and they, all of a sudden, Cole Pern and Martin Shrix Jr. hit it off, and they went on to win a championship last year. So uh, I guess anything can happen when you hire an engineer, a smart guy, a smart person to take over a race team. Um, so this weekend, we ran two races at the Iowa Speedway, uh, NASCAR Xfinity, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. We'll discuss the Xfinity Series race first. It was this afternoon, a Sunday afternoon event at the Iowa Speedway, the Iowa 250 presented by Enogen. Uh, 
Justin Allgaier wound up on top. He led 182 of the race's 250 laps this afternoon. His seventh career Xfinity Series race completely dominated. No, he started in the uh, 11th position, and it took him a little bit while, a little bit to get through the field. But once he got through the field and got to, to the leader, uh, Austin Cedric, once he passed Austin Cedric for a lead, really nobody else got around Allgaier. It was Allgaier's race to lose. He did a great job there winning and holding off Christopher Bell and Daniel Hemrick. Two drivers had a really good race car. Bell started in the rear of the field. His car did not pass inspection for qualifying. Him and uh, Ryan Reed were the two big, t- got big teams that did not pass inspection, had to work their way from the rear of the field up. Bell did that. He was in the top ten by lap 30. Um, had a real fast race car in that Reed Toyota, but it was not enough to surpass Justin Allgaier, who, listen, Allgaier to me, John, has had a really good year this year. Last year they had a pretty good year. Um, and it, and he's a, a favorite, one of the favorites for the championship again here as the Xfinity Series gets a week off before they go to Chicagoland in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think Justin Allgaier, uh, now that he's finally officially qualified for the playoffs, because he's already won once this year but had it taken away because they uh, failed a post-race inspection for ride height, I think Allgaier's team has put it all together. That's the one team out of Junior Motorsports that, even though it had Leeton team has had more speed than any of the junior motorsports teams. If you think about it throughout the Xfinity series this year, it's been Team Penske, Joe Gibbs Racing, and then the junior motorsports teams would be there in comp in they would be competitive, but the best Chevy team out there this year has been the Allgaier team. And I think they've run well this year and he showed it today. Um the one thing that different from today than it than it was the the four weeks where we had the dash for cash races, there were no cup drivers in the field today. It wasn't that good of a race. I mean, there was some passing back in the field again, but once you got three quarters of a mile, and usually you don't just pull away. If you get uh, the clean air at the three quarter mile track, but nobody had anything for Justin Allgaier all day today. Once he got through the field, Uh, a great run for Christopher Bell, making it from the rear of the field to, uh, second place. The only problem is they failed pre-race inspection. So guess what? There's going to be something coming down the pipeline come Tuesday or Wednesday. And it's going to be sad. Here we are again on our Wednesday show. We're going to talk about some sort of penalties and it's going to be on the Xfinity level instead of the cup level. But if you can't pass inspection and everybody knows the rules going in, you build the car, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, a lot of the teams do have these, uh, have the inspect uh, uh, their own version of the uh, the uh, inspection stuff in their shops. They can build it, optical pass it at the shop, station, the optical yeah. scanning station. Yes, a lot of teams invested in putting their own optical scanning station in their own shops so they could make it easier for themselves. And we're still having inspection issues. It's sad that it's come to that. It ruined a great day. Christopher Bell would have probably won the race going away. Starting, I mean, starting tail end Charlie and coming back and finishing second. I mean, hell, he's in the top 10, 50 laps into the race. So he had a great car. Yeah. And it would have been a different kind of day. I mean, if he starts where he normally would have qualified, Christopher Bell might have stunk up the show instead of Justin Allgaier doing it. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. Um, you know, not only did they, like, I, like we said earlier, not only did they have post-race inspection issues, but they have pre-race inspection issues. Uh, and so all of that combined might be a heavier penalty for that 20 team. Not sure how they're going to 
penalize that, but it should be interesting to keep an eye on as the week goes on for sure. Daniel Hemmerk, he finished third. He's had a solid year so far. That is Cole Custer, Brandon Jones in fifth. Riley Hurst, who made his uh, Xfinity Series debut today for Joe Gibbs Racing, he finished in a sixth spot. Ty Majeski finished seventh. His best run of the year for uh, Roush Fenway. Then it was Tyler Reddick in eighth. Matt Tift ninth. And Kaz Gralla rounding out the top ten, who since he's gotten in the Fury race car team has been really, really fast. Um, positions three to ten. You know, Custer ran a really good race. He was fast in practice. He qualified fifth, was in the top five all day. Same thing with Hemrick. They were up there. Brandon Jones as well. Riley Hurst did a good job. Um, Majeski, that 60 team really needed it. If you look at owner points, um, that 60 team has had, just had some rotten luck this year. They've had a lot of accidents. They've had a lot of DNFs that have put them low in the owner points to where they weren't able to. Uh, if it rained out, they might have been in a little bit of jeopardy here if a lot of teams came down. But uh, seventh place finish today for Majeski it gives them some breathing room. They got maybe gives them a little bit uh, start on a little bit of momentum here as they can get going here for the 2018 season. Tyler Reddick, another solid day with Matt Tift and Kaz Grala. I can't say enough about that kid. Um, since he's gotten to the Fury Race Cars team. On uh, that 61 car, he's been really, really fast. Uh, he's been really just impressive. I mean, um, hasn't competed for wins. I mean, he was close there at Michigan with the rain coming out, but, you know, he's been a, a step above where he was earlier in the year with JGL Racing. So uh, you can't help but be impressed right now with Kaz Grala, who, you know, if you look at the points, it's just two points behind Michael Onet at Junior Motorsports. They show you what Grala's been doing this year so far. And the sad part is, Kaz Grala signed for four races with Fury Race Cars. So, uh, with Fury Race Cars in that '61 car. So, going forward, Kaz Grala doesn't know what's going to happen. I mean, they need sponsorship on that car. Same thing. We're whenever we get to the Truck Series, we'll talk about that because um, the race winner, um, Brett Moffat, his team may go away because of sponsorship issues, and he's got a win and he's leading a chase. Right now in the in the truck series, uh, Kaz Grala has run great in these last four races. Whenever he whenever JGL and him announced they were separating, you were kind of wondering what was the future for this 19 year old kid who goes to college here in Massachusetts, and he's done nothing but impress in the four races driving for Fury Race Cars. Um, this kid's talented, and one of those things where you're running into, and this is the thing about where the sport's coming with. The uh, revenue sharing without franchising and stuff like that, if you don't bring sponsorship to the table, you're not getting in a good ride. I mean, we talked about this over and over um, with the mod- Ryan Priest at Joe Gibbs Racing. He basically mortgaged his house so he could get two races driving for Joe Gibbs last year. I mean, how crazy is that where you're paying one of the top teams in the sport And Kaz Grala has stepped into a car that didn't exist four weeks ago, and he's run great all four races. You want to see him go forward, but right now nobody knows what's going to happen next with Kaz Grala in that 61 car. Yeah, and that, that's the shame of it all is, like you said, you know, we don't know. they got a week off, and it gives him a little bit of time to get a game plan here. And if he's opened somebody's eyes uh, on another race team, maybe they can give him a few races and say, hey, come to our race team. He's done a really nice job. Uh, come drive for us for a little bit and maybe get him through the rest of the year. Uh, that'd be cool to see if that, something like that happens. Or Fury Race Cars, who, which has built 
great Xfinity cars the last four weeks. Says, let's try and do this. We test trial to see if we would do well, um, and, and he did great. So, you know, the, the only issue is with Gralla is he's way behind um, in the points. You know, I mentioned he's only two points behind Michael Annette. When you look at the point standings right now, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but Ross Chastain holds the 12th position, and that's the cutoff in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Then you have Spencer Gallagher, who's currently suspended. He won't be able to make the playoffs because he won't get a waiver. John Hunter Niemicek doesn't end the full year. He won't get a waiver. Then you have Michael Annette in 15th and Kaz Gralla in 16th, and they're about 25 points back behind Ross Chastain for 12th. And Ross Chastain is about uh, 50 points back of 11th and Austin Sindrick. So if somebody wins the race outside the top 12, they're going to have a really hard time making it on points in, that, in Gralla. Uh, so, you know, they're going to have to really pull together and win some races. If Gralla was a little bit closer, I'd say, somebody might say, hey, we can get a shot at winning the, at making the playoffs here, and that would help him. Uh, a little bit more on today's race. Um, Austin Sindrick sat on the pole, finished 11th in a 22 car for Team Penske. Then it was Justin Haley, Michael Annette, Ryan Truex, and John Hunter. Maybe Jack Truex had a – they were searching for that setup all day today in that 11 car. They just could not find the setup all day. Uh, frustrating day for them. They qualified sixth, which was a little bit better than I think what they expected. Um, he ended up 14th. Then you had Ryan Reed – or excuse me, Shane Lee in 16th. Ryan Reed, Ryan Sieg, Ross Chastain, and Jeremy Clements in the top 20. Other notables, big notable, the points leader, Elliot Sadler, had a bad day. Uh, he finished in a 28th spot, blew a tire, hit the outside wall right before the first stage ended, uh, and it ended his day in the 28th position, was a couple of laps down, could never really find the, uh, the handling on that car, had issues the rest of the day. So Sadler still leads the points, but a big dent in his points lead here uh, after the race at Iowa. Yeah, Cole Custer's four points behind Elliot Sadler. And he's probably the quietest second place in points you're going to run into. I mean, he's had a great year in the double zero car for Stuart Haas in the Xfinity series. He keeps um, showing growth. He keeps showing his talent. Uh, he's doing well in that double zero car. Um, a win's coming for that team. I mean, wait a minute. They have a win. But, I mean, it looks like they could push Elliott Sadler and get in the lead and get those bonus points before they go into the playoffs. Um, I think it's impressive what Austin Sindrick's done because before the season, you and I both were wondering why does Austin Sindrick get a full season? Because he's going to run between Roush Fenway, Stuart Haas, and um, Team Penske, and he's going to run the full season. And right now he's sitting there playoff eligible, and we were wondering, it's like, okay, how does he keep this ride? Because we all thought that um, Chase Briscoe had more talent coming out of the Brad Keselowski uh, truck series folding up, but it wound up being Austin Sindrick getting uh, the move going forward. Now, there was a part of us that probably were wondering, well, his dad is the president of of Team Penske, so maybe that's why it wound up working. But he showed that he can drive. He hasn't really uh, laid an egg in many places. He hasn't really caused much mayhem or ruckus. He's done okay. And right now, as we, if we would start playoffs today, Austin Sindrick's in. And I think he's been respectable with the way things are. Um, the one thing that we're running into again with the way the Xfinity series is, there are the haves and the have-nots. I mean, if you are a Cup Series affiliated team, you're doing great. If you are the independent teams like your JGL Racings who've 
had to close up shop for Kaz Gralla. If you if you're the Jeremy Clements, Ryan Siegs, you're hoping for a 15th to 20th place finish, and you're counting that almost as a win. Yep, and and it's getting worse and worse as the teams, like you said, are closing up shop. The, the Xfinity only teams are closing up the shop, so it's getting worse and worse. But um, you know, congratulations, Allgaier. I mean, Allgaier. There's some races where he runs and he looks like he is untouchable. Then there's races where this team goes out and struggles. If they can put some races together here in that seven car and really put a, a solid 10-race stretch in the end of the year together consistently, I don't think Elliott Sadler can beat him. I don't think there's anybody that can beat them because, like I said, when he goes out and everything's right, he dominates. And today he did that again. Uh, a great, great job there by that whole team and that whole organization. Xfinity off, and I believe they run the next race at Chicagoland, if, if memory serves me correct, in a couple That's of correct. weeks. Also, the uh, the Kiteman World Truck Series race was this weekend. It was Saturday night at Iowa Speedway. Um, it was the M&M's 200 from Iowa, which resulted in Brett Moffitt's uh, third one of the year with Noah Gregson in second, then Harrison Burton third, David Gilliland fourth, and Johnny Soder in fifth. Gregson tried to pull a quote-unquote Carl Edwards move at the end of that race where we saw Carl Edwards a bunch of years ago, I believe it was at Kansas Speedway, where he dive bobbed the corner, tried to uh, to save it, hit the outside wall with all his might, and could not do it. Gregson tried the same thing on Brett Moffitt, did not pay off, hit the wall, finished in the second spot, but Moffitt, who's had a really good year in that, in that 16 truck, goes out, wins another race for Shiki Yatori, and a great job by that organization. I'll tell you, if you're not impressed with what Brett Moffitt's done this year, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, this kid is a great race car driver, just needs a big opportunity. Yeah, we saw it a few years ago whenever um, when Kyle Busch got hurt and David Reagan moved from Michael Waltrip Racing over to Joe Gibbs Racing, and they pulled up Brett Moffitt real quick, and he ran for Michael Waltrip for a little bit. Then he ran a little bit for um, um, Front Row Motorsports. He was respectable. He ran really well last year whenever he first got in the car, in the truck for um, races. Brett Moffat is a good driver, and it was even um, more special for him that he won in his home state. He's originally from Iowa, and Brett Moffat just needs a chance to get in a decent ride. And the Shegiatori racing uh, number 16 is a decent ride, but the problem is, and this is one of the reasons that Ryan Truex went to the Xfinity Series in the number 11 car. His sponsorship isn't locked in. Shaggy Atori Racing even said recently they got a new sponsor on the truck this week for uh, Brett Moffat. But they are week to week. They don't know how far they're going to be able to go. And Brett Moffat is locked into the playoffs right now. Brett Moffat is the only person who it seems like could challenge uh, Johnny Sauter with the way the um, truck series races have been going. The only... He's the only guy with multiple wins other than Sauter. And Brett Moffitt's been running really good this year in that 16 truck, and I think it would be a good move for somebody to step up and say, hey, we'll put some money behind it and give him a chance. I mean, Brett Moffitt's been running really good this year. Oh, I agree. And I, I think uh, they, they're still running, I believe, TRD engines, which helps him a lot on that uh, 16 truck. But no doubt about it. I mean, this is – this has been a very impressive year for Moffitt. And, you know, it just, I, I feel bad for him. You're right. He talked about in Victor Lane. They don't have 
fun and then go past Chicagoland. And this is a, a kid who it seems like every opportunity he gets into it just seems to fall apart for whatever reason. Last year he had a full-time ride at Red, Bull, Red Horse Racing. That fell apart after five races. Uh, the year before he won a race over there at Red Bull Racing, something for Matt Tift, and they couldn't find a funding for a third car to put him in for the rest of the year. So um, if, when he's got the right equipment and the right opportunity, he's done very, very well. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see him get an opportunity there where he can really show his, his stuff and get a full year under his belt and say, hey, you know what, look what I can even do when I get a full year under my belt. Because with these small little tiny um, races that he runs, you know, a handful of races here and there that he runs, he does a great job. Uh, and most of his experiences in a Cup Series, he's got 45 Cup Series starts and 22 Xfinity or Truck Series starts and two Xfinity Series starts. So, um, you know, he, he could he could definitely benefit from some seasoning. I think it would do nothing but help him. But yeah, I mean, he finished eighth driving a 55 car for Michael Waltrip Racing in 2015 at Atlanta. You know, and you talked about that race. That was very very impressive of him. So he he's done very very well here. Uh, and, and really good stuff, and I just think uh, hopefully somebody steps up and gives him an opportunity because he's done great. Gregson was second, as I said. Harrison Burton, the young kid, was third. Then you had the veteran Gilland in fourth, and Johnny Sauter in fifth. Anybody stand out there in the top five? What did you think of Gregson's move there, John, at the end of that race? Uh, sort of like the Carl Edwards move where, you know, he dove, tried to dive bomb the corner uh, and just hang on to it and just could not hang on to it, but it was his only chance to get around Moffitt. Um, so that move we've seen – that aggressive move so far is 0 for 2. Well, excuse me. Uh, one of the things with that move from Gregson, he had nothing to lose. I mean, he's sitting second in points. He has his win. The only three people who are locked into the field right now in the truck series are Sauter, Gregson, and Moffitt. Uh, they're the only ones in the top 10 with wins. Um, so what did he have to lose? He, he figured he'd just go for everything he possibly could. It didn't work, but, I mean, you got to like the guy for trying. It's not like he just sat back and said, oh, well, I'm going to finish second. He went back and threw everything he could, plus the kitchen sink, plus the uh, plumber who's working on the kitchen sink, trying to get the win. And you got to like that in the driver. That's who I want driving my truck. Uh, I want somebody who's not going to sit there and be happy being in second place. He went for it. Didn't work, but he went for it. And you really have to look forward to that. Um, back on the Brett Moffat thing, I mean, it just really, he's 85 points out of the lead. He's got, um, 26 over fourth and fifth. I mean, it's going to take an act of Congress for him not to make the playoffs. I mean, he's got a 95 point lead over 10th place. As long as they go out and they qualify and they run respectable, he's going to make the playoffs. All he has to do is finish in the top 30 in points. So all he has to do is start and he'll make the playoffs. I mean, heck, if worse comes to worse, and I'm shaggy at Tory, I just start and park it for a little while to make sure that we keep that 16 in, get some sponsorship for the final 10, and focus on everything that's left. That's not a bad strategy. I mean, and I know people are going to say, well, but, yeah, you know, I mean, that might be what they have to do because if they stay in the top, maybe it's the top 20 or 25, I'm not sure what it is in a truck series, uh, the minimum you have to finish because they only take eight, in the truck series for these playoffs. So uh, that might be something they might have to look at, whether they run and say, listen, we're going to run with a effort that's, um, you know, for these next couple of races where we're not going to run a full-time effort where, uh, you know, put everything we can because we've got the wins, we've got the points, um, and just kind of make these races and do the best we can with what we have. And then, 
when the season picks up. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people against that, but you have to do what you have to do, obviously, to uh, finish the year if you're Shigiatori in that 16 truck. Jesse Little, who continues to impress with his little race team, uh, he finished sixth. Cody Coughlin was seventh. Eighth was Christian Eckes in his first start in the Truck Series for Accomplished Motorsports. Ninth, Stuart Friesian. And tenth went to Myatt Snyder. Uh, the big wreck of the afternoon was a wreck that involved a couple of big-name Truck Series drivers with uh, Ben Rhodes, Stuart Friesian, uh, Matt Crafton, and Justin Haley. Uh, they got into a big wreck there. John Hunter was caught up into it as well. Um, a wreck where it looked like, you know, you could blame a couple of people there, uh, but really uh, took out Crafton. Crafton finished 26th. John Hunter Nemechek, who was leading at one point in the race, he finished 27th. Uh, so tough day for those guys who were really factors in winning. Crafton had a really fast truck all night long. Uh, he talked about he was very happy with his truck really early in the weekend, um, and he ended up in a 26th spot. So a tough day for those guys. Uh, and it really affected the way Friesen ran the rest of the day. Yeah, he finished uh, ninth, but it was not really a factor to win after that. So uh, a big major wreck there taking uh, a lot of the contenders last night. Yeah, and it was really nice to hear Matt Crafton talk about how well he liked his truck because the switch from Thor Sport from Toyota to Ford happened very late. Uh, they were running backup trucks or former trucks for Brad Kozlowski racing at one point, and Thor Sports just finally starting to get to the point where they're building their own chassis, building their own trucks. And it's taken them a while to get themselves to where I think that's the first time you're back and he was happy with the deal. And it's going to be something good to see them going forward. Crafton sitting there sixth in points. He's pretty safe, though. He's uh, 21 points over eighth place Justin Haley. But, I mean, I think it'd be, it's a good move for Crafton to finally be happy with his truck. I mean, there was some issues that caused the accident, and Crafton wound up being the one who got stuck in the end of um, having the rough day out of it. But I think it's going to, going forward, Crafton finally has some confidence in driving a Ford, driving the Ford trucks. I think they're going to be happy with where they are going forward. And Matt Crafton will be a contender before the end of the season. Yeah, he always is. You know, it, these veterans with Sauter and Kraft, and uh, they always seem to find a way to to do a a great job and to uh, to win some races and get into the playoffs and, and make the at least make a run for the championship as the season goes along. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. We're here with you. We're discussing all things NASCAR this week, including the uh, release of the. Uh, schedule in the Xfinity and Truck Series. We had the release of the, of the Cup Series schedule in 2019, earlier in the year. Not many changes there at all. Uh, no changes, really, no major changes in the Xfinity Series. It's going to be the same racetracks, pretty much on the same dates. Uh, but there is a change in the Camping World Truck Series. Texas Motor Speedway moves one of their events from later in the year uh, in the playoffs to uh, March 29th, which would be the fifth race of the season. Uh, they go from Martinsville to Texas. They have a big gap in there from Martinsville to Dover currently on the schedule. NASCAR kind of wanted to shore that up. So Texas Motor Speedway will move to March 29th. They're also going to have a race on June 7th next year, uh, So, which is what they just ran last week. So they're going to have two races pretty close together there for Texas Motor Speedway and the Truck Series, and then they're done. Um, the Truck Series – 
other than that, that's not really a, ch- a change. You know, what makes that change a little bit more interesting for the Truck Series is Bristol now starts off the playoffs for them, which is a very, very exciting event. They're going to have the playoffs start on August 15th for the Truck Series on a Wednesday or Thursday night now at Bristol Motor Speedway. So that's going to be wild to see. Personally, I can't wait for that next year when Bristol starts off the chase because I just think it makes it that much more interesting. Um, but a lot of fans, John, I saw on social media this week, I saw on social media the last couple of years saying, hey, we want to see major changes to the schedule. We really haven't seen that many. Um, why? Is there a good reason for that? Well, I think part of it's they signed the five-year uh, agreements with all the tracks that you are – um, everybody's locked into whatever they have for their dates and they pretty much keep them pretty close to everything. Uh, one of the things it does for the truck series, I think it takes away that huge break at the beginning of the season, which um, they start getting momentum and then there's a big long break. One of the things I think this does is you can make the playoffs very forgettable here. Um, the playoffs start August 15th at Bristol, which will be a great race to start. Then 10 days later, they run a Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Then they're off for two weeks, and then they go to Vegas. And then they're off for a month before they go to Talladega in the middle of the playoffs. You can forget they're even in the playoffs with a month off. I mean, the playoffs start August 15th. The final race is at Homestead Miami Speedway on November 15th. I don't think, I mean, hockey playoffs last this long. Basketball playoffs last this long. But it's best of seven series all the time. This one's one of those ones where I think they're biting their nose, spike their face. I'd almost like to see them start to play off August 15th, finish the season October 12th. Run them 10 straight, or run them the eight straight that they do the playoffs and be done with it. Don't stretch it out just to say we could have four, I mean, uh, Ford Championship weekend all together at Miami the truck series can end early. I think they're trying to stretch it out too long. And that gap between Las Vegas and Talladega is 29 days long. And I could forget completely. And I'm a fan of the sport, but between September 13th and October 12th, you're going to have college football. You're going to have pro football. You're going to have the start of the world series. You're going to have whatever's happening in the cup and Xfinity playoffs. You're going to forget that the truck series even exists. And it's crazy that they're only going to run one race from August 25th to October 12th. I mean, uh, they, like you said, they have a two-week break before they run Vegas and then another four weeks off. So in six weeks, they're going to run one race in the playoffs in a truck series. So that's something um, interesting. To say the least, you know, you have to wonder how they're going to fill that gap. I think that is going to be an issue they're going to have to look at, bring up good points about, the tr- about uh, college football. Um, and, and people forgetting it, you know, that's the start of the playoffs. And, and Talladega is a great race, no doubt about it, as far as entertainment purposes is concerned. Uh, it's a very entertaining race, but, you know, it is easy to kind of even forget, like, oh, my gosh, you know, we've only won one race in six weeks. Who's even in the playoffs? Who's out of the, that kind of deal? So, yeah, I mean, that big break in the middle, beginning of the year was an issue. You're shortening it by one week, though, and you're opening up a major, major hole here and the schedule um, from Canadian Tire Motorsport Park to uh, to Talladega Super Speedway. So, who knows? You know, it would have been there anyway. It's been there anyway the last couple of years. Um, but we'll see. You know, maybe they'll add a race to the Truck Series schedule in 2020. 
but you know, I think part of it too. You, you talked about the five-year um, stranglehold they had on the tracks there, where the, with the agreement. Also, you know, it just seems like these tracks don't want to get up these dates now. NASCAR is going to have to look at it. A lot of people were complaining today, saying that the uh, attendance in the Truck Series wasn't very good, or the Xfinity Series today at Iowa Speedway wasn't very good. But I think if you match it to where we run everywhere in the Xfinity Series race. Uh, it, it's pretty much equal. You know, the Xfinity doesn't draw very good, neither do trucks really on these big race tracks. So why would we expect them to draw good at Iowa? Um, and if what these people say is correct as far as truck, Cup Series drivers are the draw, not having Cup Series drivers, and it, you would expect a little bit lower crowds. So, and again, you know, I think it comes down to TV and money, all that kind of thing. Um, so at the end of the day, I think NASCAR will make some changes here when they, when these five tracks are up. But when these five-year contracts up, which they believe after the 2019-2020 season, somewhere around there. Uh, so, listen, I hope we do see some changes because this schedule is getting stale. I want to see some more short tracks on the schedule. Um, Iowa's a great tra- track, but, you know, it's not that prototypical short track that we're used to seeing uh, in the truck series at times. So I do want to see um, a, a step in the right direction here uh, as far as uh, as the schedule is concerned as the season rolls along. Um, 907-889-8280 here. Clayton Cobo, John Harlow here talking in circles this week. Um, discussing all things NASCAR here, John. Um, very interesting week coming up here for uh, the truck series. They're going to have Gateway coming up in a couple of weeks. And then, of course, they're going to have uh, Eldora in a few weeks here. Uh, I like the variety of the truck series coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I like the truck series altogether. I mean, we gripe about the racing at the cup level. We gripe about the racing at the Xfinity level. I don't think you ever hear anybody gripe about the truck series racing. And it's an interesting group this year. I mean, you think about it, you've got Sauter, you've got Crafton, and you've got the young pups. Because the average, most everybody who's contending for wins or contending for the top ten in the in the truck series, other than Matt Crafton and Johnny Sauter, are 25 and under. And you've got a lot of young blood in that truck series. You've got a lot of really good drivers in the truck series. And the racing is better in the truck series than any other series I've seen in a long time. The truck series racing is solid. Now we just have to be able to get people to show up for it. And that's one of the problems we're running into. Um. There wasn't a whole hell of a lot of people in Iowa on Saturday night. There wasn't a whole hell of a lot of people there today in Iowa. And they kept saying, well, if you give us a standalone races, people will come. Well, one of the things is I'm a father. I didn't watch either race. I saw five laps of highlights watching the uh, finish of the race at Iowa this afternoon. And it's Father's Day. I spent my day with my kids. I spent my day with my family. I spent my day with my father-in-law and there was nothing really to draw me to turn on the TV for it. And if you don't give me a reason to watch it, I don't have, I have other things going on and it's alone weekend on father's day because the target audience you're chasing most of the time are fathers and they're busy doing things with their kids, doing things with their families. And Iowa was bound to pay a price for that. Yeah, and the next race they have on a schedule is in, like, early July. 
for the Xfinity Series. So their races are really, really bang, bang. Um, and I think it's going to affect the next race for this, that they're so close together. I mean, I know Iowa is in a spot where, um, you know, you can't run them in February, March there, and you can't run them in September, October there, but you got to uh, spread them out a little bit more than this if you want these crowds to show up to these racetracks. I mean, Pocono is the same way where I think their races are too close together. Um, I thought New Hampshire's races were pretty too, were too close together. Michigan, you can even argue their races are too close together as well. Um, you know, I just think you got to spread them out. And again, it's a part of the country where it's hard because you can't run them. Like I said, you can't run February, March, or even maybe even April's a little too chilly to run them. So it makes it very, very difficult to run two races there a year. But um, you know, you got to try and spread them out more than what three, four weeks here. Then they're going to be back at Iowa. So uh, at least the Xfinity series. So, yeah, I, I do think, um, you know, that would really help things. Something we didn't touch on, John, from earlier in the week uh, that I want to get your opinion on here is the penalties for, that were handed down after uh, the Monster Energy Cup Series race at Michigan. Um, Kyle Busch, we knew he had, had uh, pre-race inspection issues, really all three Three of the four Jokers racing teams had pre-race inspection issues. Uh, something with the splitter. The splitter did not meet specifications. Here are the penalties handed down. Kyle Busch uh, and his team, Adam, Adam Stevens, his crew chief, was fined $25,000. His car chief, Nate Bellows, has been suspended for the next Monster Energy Cup Series Point Series event at Sears Point, or excuse me, Infineon Raceway. Uh, same thing with um, the number 20 car of Eric Jones. Splitter did not meet specifications. Crew chief Mike Wheeler was was fined twenty five thousand dollars. His car chief Brandon Griffith was suspended for the next Monster Energy Cup Series event. And Danny Hamlin, same deal. Chris Gale fined twenty five thousand dollars. And car chief Jason Overstreet was suspended for the next Cup Series event, which you, they didn't appeal. So you'd assume all of them uh, will um, be assessed here at Sears Point Raceway. Excuse me, Infineon. I'm not going to stop calling it Sears Point here for some reason. <laughs> but Infineon Raceway. Um, interesting little weekend that in fact that this happens. You know, I don't know how you feel about this, but to me at, at, at Sonoma, um, you know, handling's an issue, but I think it's more a strategical racetrack where, uh, you know, strategy can get you to the front if you get clean air. Uh, it's a big deal. So do you think it would have been a bigger issue if you – suspended the crew chief here in this case for these guys um, where maybe over and overstreet took over for the 11 car hypothetically. And he doesn't have the, you know, um, experience on the pit box to where he can make a, a judgment call there on whether or not to take two or four or when the pit, when on what lap and stuff like that. Um, if something goes wrong and have the experience to make that happen here on at, at Infineon. So I think it, it's sort of, they look at this and say, well, my crew chief's still going to be there. As far as strategy is concerned, everything's going to work out. We'll take the hit at Watkins Glen – excuse me, at Sonoma, sorry. We're going to take the hit at, at Sonoma um, and, and just move on for the rest of the year. What are your thoughts on, on, the crew chief, on the car chief excuse me, getting suspended rather than the crew chief here for this weekend at Sonoma? I think it's six and one half dozen the other because the crew chief's gone. They're able to check and say, okay, if we need to pit, or they can look back. I mean, pretty much – if you think about it, the road courses, you run backwards. How many laps does it take me to get to the end? That's where my last pit stop's going to be. Um, 
it's not really – I think you or I could go up there and be a crew chief for uh, the road races. Um, and plus, it isn't the – it's not aerodynamics. You see the bumping and banging and crashing and all that stuff that goes in on a road course race. It's a matter of where you end up putting your car and can you um, make the move and get everything you need and get yourself in clean air. So I don't really think it matters on this. What it does bother me with is NASCAR basically said at the beginning of the year, when it came to the splitter, you're almost looking at the uh, fourth line of death when it came to some penalties. You know, the three things you don't mess with are fuel tires and size of the engine. And they were talking the splitter was going to be the next thing sort of like that. And because they had a splitter that really wasn't, it wasn't in compliance. You thought there was going to be a big, big, big penalty coming out of this. You and I both talked about it last time we did the show about how there should be big penalties coming out of this, because that's basically what NASCAR said going into the season. And it turned into, uh, they lost their, their car chief got sent home before the race last week. And then their car chief sits out the, the race at Infineon this week. Okay. So what? That's not that big a deal. And they made it seem like the splitter was going to be everything as a penalty. If you mess with the splitter, you're going to pay dearly. NASCAR basically said, well, we didn't mean that. It's not, it's not that bad. You go ahead and do what you need to do. You'll send your car chief home for a week and you'll lose 25,000 points or $25,000, $25,000 for a cup crew chief. I mean, it's not like, it's not like uh, Mike Wheeler's paying that $25,000. Joe Gibbs Racing's right. paying that $25,000. Toyota is $25,000. It ain't coming out of Mike Wheeler's pocket. It ain't coming out of Kyle Busch's crew chief's pocket. And it just happens that that's the way they put it out. And so what? It's not a big deal. I think NASCAR is getting to the point where they're over either over-penalizing or not penalizing enough. Make a stand, either go big or go home, or let it alone. Right, if it's not that big of an issue, then why are we um, penalizing for it? You know, does it matter to you at all? And and a lot of people, um, I think, sort of go back and forth on this. You see a lot of different uh, opinions on this. And I'm kind of curious on what you think. You know, does it matter at all that this was found in pre-race and they changed it for pre-race and they didn't race with this? For example, you know, when we see the, the window windshield penalties we've seen with Harvick, and other teams this year, um, they did that during the race. And it happened during the race, so it gave them an advantage during the race. So you look at it and you say, where would they have finished without that? Who knows? You know, I'm not an engineer. You're not an engineer. So I, it might be very, very little of a change, but they're, they're doing it to get an advantage in a race where these Joggers Racing cars, sure, they didn't pass pre-race inspection, but by the time the race started – by the time they got to the grid, their car was was 100% legal. And so they didn't race with an illegal race car at all. Everything was fine. So it didn't affect the way they drove that ran that race at all. So does that have any merit to you? Or maybe that's why NASCAR sort of looked at it and said, we're not going to penalize as hard because it wasn't a post-race penalty rather than a pre-race penalty. I think intent. If you go to the inspection line and you know your car, I mean, you have to have a flat splitter, and you know your splitter is not flat. There is an intent to get away with something. And I think pre-race penalties should carry the same weight as post-race penalties. 
And, I mean, if you think about it, the post-race penalties, originally Harvick, I mean, they passed the OSS. Whenever they, I mean, because everybody has to pass the OSS to be able to hit the track to start and go at the green flag. So the people who got penalized for the rear window, they passed the OSS. Now, granted, they were, it looks like they found a way around to where they could pass the OSS and still be able to run the way they wanted to, which is ingenuity on the, on the crew chief's end. But I think the intent equals um, the same as it would be if you have a post-race violation because you were trying to get away with the same thing that you would have if you would have made it through. Now, <clears throat> I really believe, and this is my thoughts on it, if you pass OSS and you get on the track to start to the research center, that is to learn. That is for them to move forward, put the technical bills out saying, okay, we found this, don't do it, or you're going to pay dearly. But once you cross the finish line, once you pass the OSS to start the race, I think that's your inspection. The only, I mean, if you look at some of the short tracks, whenever you watch them go through it, the only thing they measure for at the end of a race, like at a World of Outlaws sprint car race, the car has to weigh 1,350 pounds. So what they do is they roll it over the scale. If it passes 1,350 pounds, you wheel it into victory lane. If it doesn't hit 1,350 pounds, they wheel the next car into victory lane. That's what it should be. It should be for weight and safety, and then everything else we learn from, and they put it in the bulletins and say, don't do this again because it's getting old. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think – you're right. I think that's something. The penalties are getting old, um, and you know, there's obviously a reason they do the post race ins- post race inspection. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's one of those things where I go back and forth on it because I don't want teams to sort of, you know, go out there and while they're pushing a race car from the from the uh, you know from the to the grid from the inspection station, you know kicking in the side or, or pulling out a side skirt or doing all kinds of things to sort of give them a little bit of an aerodynamic advantage, which we've seen teams do even on pit road in the past. So uh, a post-race inspection avoids that. Again, how much does that change the, the way the car handles? How much does that change? What does that do for the team? How big of an advantage that is? Not, not much, but it's got to be something because they wouldn't take the risk and do it if they didn't. Now, everybody could do that, sure. There's certain things you can do, and I'm all for opening up the, re- the rule book. I've said this numerous times. I think we do need to open up the rule book. I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the fans are sort of souring on the sport a little bit is that it's just everything's the same. Uh, the guys run the same speed, the same track, the same tires, the same gears, everything. So, um, And it makes it hard to pass, and it just sort of makes it boring because you're watching cars run the exact same speed, and you go, well, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't fun. So... Uh, I do think we need to open up the rule books for sure, but um, maybe definitely, like you said, uh, measure only certain things in post-race inspection, not everything. Uh, I, I to, to, would agree with that. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles here tonight. Tonight It was a great show. Uh, if you want to, you like what you heard, you want to follow us on Instagram, on Facebook or Twitter, be sure to like our pages there. Uh, we'll see you next week here on Talking, next time here on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.